Welcome in to episode two of Shake Down the Numbers. My name is Cooper Klaus, and I'm joined by my co-host, recording today from Minnesota, actually, Jack and Cannon. How's it going, Jack? Going well. Going well. Early in the morning, but getting the energy up for Irish football and excited to take a look at this Georgia Tech game. Yeah, it's 8.30 in the morning when we're recording on October 29th, hoping to get this out to you guys pretty soon. But um, one thing we wanted to shout out, uh, we picked up someone to join our team, Eric Thomas. He's going to be helping out kind of behind the scenes with some play collection data. This was turning into a full-time job basically for Jack. So needed to get some help for him. He might come on the pod um, every once in a while to fill in for one of us if we can't make it, but just wanted to shout him out. And today we're going to be previewing the Georgia Tech game and the last test for the Irish football team before it's Clemson week. But first, we wanted to give you guys some definitions of the metrics we'll be using. We forgot to do this last week somehow. But anyways, we wanted to give you just a brief description of kind of what we'll be talking about just to give you some context um, about the stats. Yeah, so as all of you kind of noticed, EPA, uh, expected points added, is kind of the cornerstone of the analytics we do. Uh, This is a metric that takes into account down, distance, field position, and time remaining to establish how how many points it thinks a drive is worth. In the sense that the way I like to think about it is if it's first and goal from the two-yard line, you're very likely to score a touchdown. You're somewhat likely to score a field goal. You're somewhat likely to have a turnover or miss a field goal or something crazy happens. So if you average all that out, maybe it's worth 6.2 points. If you score a touchdown on the next play, that play was worth about 0.8, maybe just shy if there's possibility of missing the point after, but that play was worth 0.8. It added an expectation 0.8 points to your score at the end of the game. And then we can take that and look at it on each play, uh, regardless of where it is in the field or how much time is left and assign a number of points to that drive for each play. And this matches up with the eye test really well. Um, This season so far, the top three teams in passing EPA are Alabama, Florida, and BYU teams that are known for, either their explosive passing offenses or their schemed passing in the terms of the Florida Gators, but it matches up with the eye test pretty well, but also provides very important context that traditional stats lack. Yeah. And then also just the, the way I like to think about it is on a third and 13, if you run the ball for nine yards and then punt, that's great for Kyron Williams's rushing stats at the end of the Louisville game. It's not great for the football team. And it's not a, a successful play, which is what we're going to get into right here. But that's just one thing to mention is, you know, that's how big yardage totals happen with relatively average to mediocre EPA. Exactly. Just think of it as how often a team or a player puts their team in a better position to score. Moving on to success rate, this was created by Bill Connolly of ESPN. And it's basically trying to give you an idea of how often an offense is getting Um, ahead of the chains or staying on schedule for a football cliche but essentially a play is deemed a success if it gains 50 percent or more of the yards required for a first down on first down 70 percent of the yards on second down and converting a first down on either third or fourth down so it's the same idea with epa in the sense that getting six yards on first down would be successful and helps improve your chances of scoring but not on third and ten where it leads to a fourth and four and probably a likely punt or field goal attempt 
unlike EPA, it doesn't take magnitude of success into account. So a big 70-yard play on first and 10 is going to still be worth one successful play. Yeah, and one thing worth mentioning with success rate, because we, we touched on this a few weekends ago, uh, you know, when you run the ball on second and 10 and you get four yards and you get yourself into third and six, you know, some might call that getting ahead of the chains or getting into third and manageable. We would call that a failure. And, and success rate kind of bakes that in just because you're not that much more likely to convert a third and six than a third and 10 in college football. So this success rate stat kind of drives at that of, okay, you got yards, you stayed ahead of the sticks, but you really didn't make yourself that much likely to con- more likely to convert and therefore more likely to score points. Yeah. But third and six or longer is a myth of being manageable because it's a clear passing down for the defense. So they know they don't need to, load the box or send in extra defenders to try and stop the run. So it's just a myth that that's a manageable, manageable play. And we try to account for that in this stat moving on to first down rate. This is very straightforward. It's just the percent of plays that result in the first down. And then finally we have average depth of target. Jack, you want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So we've had people ask, you know, how did we gain 30 yards on a play where we had 15 yards depth of target? And the answer for that is depth of target is sheerly the depth down the field that the wide receiver or running back or tight end being targeted is, you know, on an incomplete pass, if Ian book air mails a pass and it goes 20 yards down the field and Javon McKinley standing 12 yards away, that's a 12 yard target. So what we're trying to drive that is how often are the Irish pushing the ball and their opponents pushing the ball down the field, you know, trying to get over the top of the defense or are they going short and we can divide it up by, by distance down the field and have takeaways. So Cole McDonald from Hawaii was third in the country last year at 12.4. Anthony Gordon was tied for 102nd at 7.2. So that's kind of context of anything over 10 is really deep. Anything under eight is pretty short. The Irish tend to be pretty conservative in this. They tend, Ian Book uh, tends to end up with smaller average depth of targets, probably than we would like to see. But there's no magic bullet here there's nothing that necessarily works if if you could have a game where you have an extremely efficient passing offense uh, with an average depth of target of five you could have a game where you have an inefficient passing offense with an average depth of target of 15 it, it there's no right way to do it so that's one thing to keep in mind going forward is just because we note that in a certain game Ian book had a small average depth of target that doesn't necessarily mean anything to to learn anything we have to break it out by target depth which is what we're usually going to do yeah in game to game this can be pretty noisy except at the extreme so if he has a game where he's targeting receivers 15 yards downfield on average or four that tells you something but it's more telling on a season basis because you have much more data points he's only throwing 20 30 times a game whereas over the course of a season he could be throwing 500 so it's more telling over a season kind of what his um, kind of mindset is attacking the defense. Yeah, and in one game, this can also get really skewed by one or two individual plays. Like last week, the, the bomb to Skilronic, that alone is going to pull the average depth of target up for a game, especially in a game like that one where he doesn't play at the end and we're running the clock out. So that's something to keep in mind too, is if a game features one or two big deep bombs, that's going to impact average depth of target for that game a lot. Yep, definitely. And we'll add shorter versions of these definitions to each episode description moving forward, just in case you need a refresher. Now let's get into Georgia Tech and the game on Saturday. First, we'll talk about ND's offense versus 
the Yellow Jacket defense. Georgia Tech comes into this game at two and four, having gotten the door, doors blown off them by Clemson. And old friend Phil Dracovic hanging 48 points on them. Jack, how do you see the Yellow Jackets defense stacking up on Saturday? Yeah, so from an EPA perspective, um, they're very average. Their passing defense out of 100 is 59th, allowing 0.11 EPA per play, a 42.1% success rate, which is 66, a 35.5% first down rate, which is 66, and 7.3 yards per play, which is 59th. So it's a very average pass defense that after the pit game, it would be great to see the Irish go after this defense because, you know, it's, it's a worse pass defense than Pitt, and there's no reason why the Irish can't throw in this defense. The, the more interesting part, coming off of two games in a row, kind of lackluster rushing, it's an average rush defense as well. They're giving up .01 EPA per play, which is 62nd. They're 58th in success rate allowed, 51st in first down rate allowed, and 55th in yards per play allowed, giving up an even five yards per play. So the Irish run game has been – average to mediocre in its last two games i'd love to see this team open it up rushing against this this yellow jacket squad just because last weekend we kind of knew Pitt was going to be great against the run i'm not so sure that this weekend definitely and i think passing efficiently is going to help open up space for these runners a lot of the rushing success is dictated kind of by box count and scheme and you could tell against the pick game just watching that they were sending eight, nine guys close to the line of scrimmage, sending corners in on blitzes. We've talked about this a lot, but it's important to note that you're not going to be able to have success running with six, seven blockers, five offensive linemen, two tight ends against nine guys. You're just, you just don't have the numbers to match up well there. So book continuing to pass well is going to help open up space for these guys. Passing efficiency on the season is getting close to surpassing rushing, actually, um, averaging a non-garbage time of 0.16 EPA per pass, whereas rushing's 0.18. So not a surprise teams have been keying in on the run, but if Book can keep this up over the season, it's going to free some space up for Kyron Williams. And last weekend, we saw that. Book threw over 50% of the time on first down and over 68% of the time on second down against Pitt. He was under 40% on both those downs in the season leading up to that. So that's something to hope to see moving forward because I think it's only good for both the rush and pass games. I don't think either of us are advocating for a Mike Leach air raid offense where you completely neglect the run, especially with the type of linemen we have, the type of running backs we have. But you need to just – it's a coaching cliche but in terms of with the passing game, but just take what the defense gives you. If they're stopping the run – beat them over the top. And if they're going to sit back, just pound them up the middle. It's not, or not up the middle exactly, but outside, get them outside. Cooper, get guys the up. analytics guy. Yeah. Pound not them up a, the middle. Get them in space, but get the run, <laughs> get the running backs in space. Get, um, just let them work. So just take what the defense gives you, see what kind of their, what they're keying in on and trying to focus on stopping. But one, one interesting thing that's kind of happened in recent weeks is Michael Meyer seemingly surpassing Tommy Tremble as tight end one. And, it's interesting given what we saw from Tremble in the cup last couple in the not last couple of weeks, the first couple of weeks, but then also um, I think it's, is it mayor? Is it Meyer? Mayor. Mayor. Okay. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But um, uh, mayor's just been awesome recently and is the leading um, receiver in terms of EPA per, per target for Notre Dame at 0.572. Jack, what do you think about this? Cause I think they could be a great one, two combo at tight end, but Tremble just hasn't been getting the opportunities recently. I mean, Meyer's spectacularly athletic. We've, we've seen it again and again. He, he might be the best 
pure athlete on this Irish offense in terms of how unique of a player he is. Uh, but Tremble is really good too. And we've seen that Tremble is a monster in the blocking game. But I would like to see him get more targets. I mean, I think there's room for both of them to work. And I think there's been examples of offenses in recent years that have used two tight ends effectively. Um, the one thing I'll say, just pour one out for Brock Wright, man. The tight end one on the preseason depth chart, we all knew that was probably not going to stick. But, you know, the, the mayor and, and Tremble at tight ends, there's just not a whole lot of room for, for our guy Brock. The, this offense needs a third player in the passing game to emerge. Javon McKinley has been okay at .325, but either Tremble or someone else needs to kind of break out. I'm not betting on this, but Avery Davis has actually been sneaky good this season. On non-garbage time targets, he is putting up 1.25 EPA per play with a pretty shallow depth of target. He He's no Braden Lindsay, but he could be a poor man's version of that. I don't know how you feel about him. The one thing I'll say about that that EPA figure, I'd imagine a lot of that is coming off of that touchdown in the Duke game, which was a great play. Um, but I think that with only nine targets his way, that's that's likely propped up by that. I, a, little, a little bit, but he he put up point seven seven, I think, against Pitt with um, I think I forget how many targets, but I think it was a few. But yeah, but so it it was solid. It was an average depth of target of negative point seven against Pitt. So like it, he he might be one of the guys that could be used on those touch little tap passes that Braden Lindsay might've gotten um, if he was healthy. So just something to keep in mind, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I'm not sure that Javon is the guy to run those, those jet sweeps and stuff that were usually going to Lindsay. So yeah, if Avery Davis can, can step up and have a role, I mean, somebody has to, I mean, it looks like Skoronic did. It looks like McKinley is going to get work. That's not enough. So if, if, you know, if it's Avery Davis, then, then, I welcome that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's whispers of Jordan Johnson's like about to make an appearance and I'll believe it when I see it. I don't yeah. really, uh, I'm not going to buy too much into that stock, especially with what we know with Brian Kelly and freshman receivers, but there's going to be um, a lot of hype and he's going to come out and cover a punt and like <laughs> Notre Dame Twitter is going to go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it'll be icing on the cake. If he can step up, I think it's definitely a lot of potential there. We don't have much data on him just cause he hasn't played, but He's, I think he played against South Florida and got pulled after a bad penalty, but, um, but that'd be exciting. So let's move on to um, Georgia Tech's offense and Notre Dame's defense. Um, Georgia Tech's led by Jeff Sims, who a freshman quarterback who has a lot of hype around him, but I don't think we necessarily agree with, um, with, agree with that just given his production. Yeah, I mean, turnovers will destroy your EPA. He averages 8.7 yards per play throwing, which is good. Um, but a negative 0.15 EPA per play, that's 70th out of 90 quarterbacks with 50 pass attempts. Um, there's 10 interceptions, which, you know, that obviously takes your, the value of your drive down to zero. 10 interceptions in six games is, is just not going to get it done. And then if you thought that was bad, he has 5.7 yards per carry on the ground, which is good. He has negative 0.1 EPA because of seven fumbles. So, I mean, he's responsible for 17 turnovers through six games. You, you just can't win like that. And yeah, 10 interceptions is, is terrible. It's an unacceptable number for him. It put, puts the ball in harm's way and puts his team in a tough position where you're giving the opposing team a lot of opportunities, extra opportunities with likely short, shorter field position than they would otherwise. But if you take out the interceptions, which is not necessarily like a good, a good analysis, but if you just take him away and kind of look at um, his non-turnover plays, he averages 0.23 EPA per play, which is a, a good figure. And 
probably the best figure out of all the quarterbacks the Irish have faced this season. He does put the ball in harm's way. He's going to make mistakes, but if he can put together a game, like a high variance game where he can eliminate those for eight drives, seven drives, this, this could put the defense in a tough spot. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say, though, that I'm not worried about the defense at all in this game. Yeah, the Irish yeah. Ha- are the 13th best pass defense by EPA. They are the 11th best rush defense by EPA and the 6th best in terms of rush success against. The Irish defense is ready for this offense. I mean, if, if Georgia Tech were to play a clean game and have no turnovers, I think it's possible that they could, could hang – some points on the board if they keep up with this three turn- turnover a game thing they they are going to not score at all i mean they, they like you cannot burn drives against the irish defense and burning and interceptions and fumbles burn drives so if you see that at all expect to see brendan clark oh definitely I, yeah i'm i'm also banking in the irish defense just saying that it's not out of the realm of possibility here that with football being such a small sample size game, each offense gets about eight, 10 opportunities. He could put together a a streak of just no turnovers. And if he has the same success that he has, I doubt it. But if he does, it it could get a little interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there is absolutely a scenario just, just because of the way that their offense has been so hampered by turnovers. If they can curb that for a day, it will be interesting to see what they can do because they simply haven't been able to do that. So We'll see on that front, but even if they do have zero turnovers, I would still bet on the Irish to hold them to a negative EPA. And yeah, I would expect uh, another great defensive performance. If you're betting against Clark Lee at this point, you're doing it to your own detriment. And the only team that I would take the offense is probably next week against Clemson. So we'll just touch on the, the top playmakers for Georgia Tech real quick. Jalen Camp and Malachi Carter are their top two receivers, averaging 0.58 and 0.46 EPA per target. The only area of concern to kind of watch for again would, would be deep passing. Yeah, I mean, that's been a, a problem the last three weeks now. I mean, problem in games where the other teams still had negative EPA uh, for two of the three games, still barely scored. And the one game, a lot of the scoring was because of the turnovers by the offense. I'm, I mean, deep passing is a concern in the context of how great this defense is. It would be really encouraging to see them strap up over the top, especially Sean Crawford, and really play sound defense over the top so we can feel confident sending five or six guys after Trevor Lawrence with some regularity. You know, even if they do have two passes over 20 yards that are completed for 25-yard gains, it still isn't the end of the world. Like, that, like, that's important to mention is we keep harping on deep passing just because there's nothing else to talk about in terms of this defense. So I would love to see that get tightened up, but even if it doesn't, I'm not – it's, it's not a super serious situation at this point. Yeah, I agree. The only thing I would – pushback on there would just be safety Sean Crawford specifically in safety play and how they're using Kyle Hamilton um, a friend of the podcast Greg Flaming, kind of uh, we had a, a tweet kind of sent some tweets back and forth and he just kind of made a good point that Kyle Hamilton's being used in coverage where he's a uh, lot basically a lockdown corner essentially but is that the best place for him to be should he be more of a ball hawking safety kind of playing center field that's the only area where It'd be interesting to see if they change how he's deployed or they stick with Sean Crawford kind of being the guy over the top and hopefully getting getting him to play the ball rather than the body. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be critical next weekend against Clemson, but you can't look forward to that now. You've got to win the, win the game ahead of you. And, you know, I think the Irish are in a great position to do that. Yep, definitely. And let, we'll wrap up with this. Jameer Gibbs and Jamius Griffin are RBs one and two, and they're pretty solid, averaging 0.1 and 0.09 EPA on combined touches and targets. 
Um, Dante Smith has gotten some run on limited touches and opportunities, only 23 targets and touches combined, but he's been very good at 0.32 EPA um, per play. If he gets some more run, he'd be someone to watch out for and kind of a, a sleeper that could come out of essentially nowhere. Yeah, I mean, for Georgia Tech, the recipe is simple. It's get the, get the ball to your best players and don't turn it over. I mean, if they can do that, I think the game could be interesting. I, I, this doesn't scare me as much as, honestly, last weekend did. But I, I think that if they can tighten it up on offense, could be more interesting than some people think. Yeah, I agree. But in the end, I think this is going to be a, a multiple-score game. I don't know if Notre Dame's necessarily going to put up the same numbers as Clemson did. And don't compare uh, Clemson's performance against Georgia Tech to Notre Dame's. They're two separate games, and they're very small sample sizes. It's better to compare season-long stats in that regard but I think this should be a pretty comfortable Saturday. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I, I have seen very little evidence that they're going to be able to take care of the ball. So if they can't do that, it's not going to be competitive. Definitely. Well, that should do it for us, Jack. This was fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for getting up early with me. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Thanks for listening, you guys. Our written pre- preview will be up on onefootdown.com on Friday, probably sometime around 11 noon uh, central. But Anyways, enjoy the game, and as always, go Irish.